Uber said, we change how people commute. We make mobility much easier. But their way of communicating was rather, it's us. And then there is the old school taxi industry. Everything they do is basically bullshit. <laughs> and that, that makes it really difficult for taxi drivers that perhaps they, they might even have advantages, in my opinion, to work with Uber, but it's just like the way Uber communicates the change makes it impossible for taxi drivers to work with Uber. Hello and welcome to Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO communications. My name is Lena Carlson and I'm here with Oliver Oust. Hi, Oliver. Hi, Lena. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Our guest today is very special and the timing could not be better. Her name is Katharina Jünger. She's the founder and CEO of Teleclinic, a startup that offers medical appointments via app. So basically you can see a doctor from your smartphone. Hi Katharina. Hi Oliver, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And could you, could you outline, I mean, how did Teleclinic come about? It's quite an interesting story, isn't it? Basically, uh, quickly about myself, uh, originally I studied law and after I finished my law studies, I realized that I couldn't imagine starting right away in a law firm, but rather wanted to broaden my horizon a bit further. And I definitely saw that technology has such an impact on, on everyday life. So I decided to add another study, which was technology management at the Center for Digital Technology and Management in Munich. And at that center, I got to know a doctor who said, I always wanted to do something about digital and, and medicine. What options are there? And as everyone in my family is a doctor, I directly thought of why can't we provide everyone with kind of a personal doctor, like really easily accessible right from your phone, because that was something I was used to and which I experienced very often as a great benefit, not only to myself, but also to friends when they had problems and then basically they started to Google and then Google gave them tons of answers, but very few of them really helped them. And then they asked me, can I, can I just quickly send a WhatsApp to your mother or call her? And then I saw how helpful it is to have that very direct access to great doctors right from your smartphone. So that was basically how the idea came along. And then when I looked into the market, I really wondered why is there no such, such thing? Why is there no basically doctor on your smartphone in one of the biggest healthcare markets in the world? So actually Germany is the biggest healthcare market in, in, in Europe and the fourth biggest in the world. And what I then found out it was that it was due to regulation. So there was a really old paragraph dating to the beginning of the 20th century, actually, <laughs> saying that doctors in Germany are not allowed to treat patients remotely. And that old paragraph was the reason that nothing happened in that market. And then when I looked into other countries, what I saw is that, that it's not a German thing. This paragraph or something similar to that paragraph was a part of regulation in almost every country in the world, but there was a different market dynamics um, in, in many other countries, especially in Sweden and the US, which was that a private player just decided to offer remote treatments, although it was perhaps still grayish, so not fully legal. And then basically when they could show that it's really a benefit for patients and doctors like to do it and insurers pay for it, then regulation actually changes. And that's basically how Teleclinic started. We started at a point of time, five and a half years ago, when remote treatments were not legal in Germany, but we just did it. And we did a lot of basically lobbying and 
we gave a lot of context and explanations of why we thought that it was the right thing to do and we could deliver concrete use cases and data showing that it actually brings a huge value to patients in Germany. Until, fast forward, in May 2018, the ban on online doctor visits was actually lifted on a federal level in Germany. So that was quite a journey. <laughs> the first three years were really exciting and uh, quite tough because, as you can imagine, Teleclinic had had quite a difficult time because what we were doing was just not legal. And since then, May 2018, Teleclinic really became to thrive as a, as a company. We were then able to really get investors on board, to have significant funding, to get fantastic colleague in the team and, and to be able to do marketing and actually tell patients on a, on a broader level what we're doing um, until the second big regulatory change came along uh, last autumn, autumn of 2019, which was public reimbursement. So in, in Germany, 90% of patients are privately insured, uh, publicly insured. So it's similar to the NHS in, in, in the UK. So they're not used to pay out of pocket. And basically, before last autumn, they couldn't really use Teleclinic because they still had to pay. And that is the big second regulatory change that just happened. So now patients can use Teleclinic for free Germany-wide. And now basically, yeah, telemedicine can really become a go-to destination for every patient in Germany. I really like the idea of a digital health clinic. And digital health is definitely, I think, stepping up. I guess, an importance and awareness right now. Has there been some resistance, though, in terms of potential customers or clients, people who maybe aren't comfortable sharing their stuff online, for example? So, first of all, to the topic of sharing stuff online, of course, data security is extremely important for us. So, so Teleclinic's, well, Teleclinic's brand really lives from people trusting in that brand, from both patients and doctors and insurers believing that what we do is, is that, we, that we treat all the data really safely. So that's, that's part of, of the brand we built up in the last years and we never had any data leakage or anything. So I think that's very important. Resistant rather came from a more fundamental question. Can doctors actually treat patients remotely? So uh, many doctors and patients and insurers asked us like very often in the past, is this possible? I always thought doctors have to touch me. So that is a very fundamental question. <laughs> and if you look into data and actually ask doctors, what you see is that roughly 70% of treatments, at least in the area of primary care, can be conducted remotely. So, so it's really significant. And that was something that really changed with Corona. So before Corona, it was really always that question. Is it possible? Like, oh, come on, the, the doctor has to touch me. So I'd rather go and, and, and see the, the doctor physically in the offline interaction. And with Corona, that really changed. So people just didn't have an alternative. And so they just tried it out and then they saw, oh, it works. <laughs> And so um, I think Corona really helped to, to, to foster that uh, kind of mind, mind change. Yeah, I, that, that, that's really fascinating. And you, you mentioned that you had to convince quite a few people in the political sphere because the law had to be changed and the insurance companies. And obviously changing a law and convincing insurance companies, is, you know, that's a tall order. These are institutions that do not like change normally. How, how did you do it? And did you do it on your own or were you part of a coalition or how, how did you even go about it? Yeah, 
So I'd say core of, of, of what we did and what I would also describe as essential for our success was that we had a very empathetic way of communicating. So basically, we never went out, out there and said, this is the right thing to do. And we're the only one basically that that can basically make this change happen and we know everything better. So I think that's something that's very important if you want to convince conservative parties. Basically, you have to communicate in a way that, number one, they really drastically understand that the change has advantages for them. And then number two, if they see that the, the change has advantages for them and their peers, they want to be part of that success story. So at the end, if they put effort into changing something, they also want to be the one saying, oh, this has very positive implications for myself and my peers, and I made this change happen. So we had a very integrative, so to say, approach to making this change happen. So to make it perhaps more concrete, uh, if you take Uber, Uber said, we change how people commute. We make mobility much easier. But their way of communicating was rather, it's us. And then there is the old school taxi industry. Everything they do is basically bullshit. <laughs> and that that makes it really difficult for taxi drivers that perhaps they, they might even have advantages, in my opinion, to work with Uber. But it's just like the way Uber communicates the change makes it impossible for taxi drivers to work with Uber. And that's what we did differently. So we always said... It, we can be part of the change, but at the end, it's not, it's not only us. It also requires like change and, 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 and like participation and um, ideas from doctors and pharmacies, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really a project, a joint effort. And I think that's, that was extremely important to ever get everyone on board. I think what you're doing is very bold and about time that we had some digital health services available in Germany. This is your first startup. So has there been any hiccups um, in terms of the founding process that you had to quickly learn from? So main learnings for me, I'd say focus is, is really what I learned along the journey uh, of Teleclinic, both on a business model, business development, but also product side. So you can only do one thing at a time and you can only do one thing uh, like really amazingly. If you do too many things at once, everything will be half-baked and then basically you can throw it away. So I certainly wasted a lot of resources both in, 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 in time and in money in, in not focusing enough on one single thing. And that is something that's especially tempting from my understanding in the, in the digital health ecosystem because... There's just so little that is digital <laughs> and all the players, they, they have so little digital competence that basically once there is someone somehow enabling them to, to deliver part of what they do in a digital sphere, uh, you are suddenly extremely ex attractive for so many parties. So I get, I don't know, on average per week, five to 10 emails by hospitals, by pharma companies, by different doctor associ associations and they all approach us with different ideas of how we could create uh, even more value and like basically set up new models and make 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 more money but also create more value and basically all of that is interesting and all of that has potential 
but what we uh, needed to learn along the journey is we can't do all of it <laughs> so focus is really the most important thing i'd say and i'm sure you've um i mean focus focus in your communication you, you mentioned that uh, that you get a lot of requests and how does that translate into working with your team? And you've grown quite a big team over the last few years, and it's likely to grow further, I can imagine. So in terms of building a team and communicating with your team, what, what are your surprising learnings over the last few years? Yeah, one thing that is extremely interesting and that I'm still certainly not 100% perfect um, with is like how to handle complexity within the team. So, so to give you an example, to provide our patients with digital prescriptions, we could work with delivery pharmacies, we could work with offline pharmacies, we could work with individual players, we could work with pharmacy chains, etc. And um, basically, there are now two ways how I, as a leader, can communicate all of these options to the team. Number one is I just basically throw all of these options into the team and I just hope that somehow <laughs> the right solution will, will come along. And what I learned is like, for me, as I'm not so deep into all of the nitty gritty operational questions, that more like strategic complexity is already high. But if I like give all of these options to the team, it will it will totally overwhelm them because they're too deep into their respective tasks as that they could take that step back. On the other hand, for especially for for like young team members and uh, perfectly trained and educated team members, they still want to be involved in strategic decisions. So they don't want to be employees in a company where they just basically execute and all the decisions come from the management. So this is something I think is extremely challenging, like how to give your team the feeling that they are really involved and that they really matter for, for bigger decisions, but then at the same time, not to overwhelm them and, and to be really careful about their time and, and, and their resources. And, and, and for me, the, the right way is somehow to really ask the team for feedback and really give them the feeling that their feedback matters and their expertise. But at the end, to be really, really clear that the decision is coming from the management and this balance between giving ownership and basically showing that their feedback matters, but not overwhelming them and like still having a, a fast process and be, be able to really take decisions extremely fast. Um, that's, I think, one of the most challenging things as to management and, and, and communication, uh, in my opinion. That's, that's a really good point. And actually, you know, this is a conversation we now have almost on a daily basis with clients and contacts. And this is one of the key questions now, I think, in, in communications. How do you balance leadership with open communication and, and sort of motivating everyone? And I think every, my answer is often you have to find your own sweet spot in, in that sort of dilemma, yeah. if you like. And rather, maybe not see it as a dilemma, but rather see it as an opportunity to involve yeah. a lot of people in the conversation so everyone feels they're part of it and, and engage, are engaged. And at the same time, provide the leadership and the clarity you mentioned that is necessary. I think that's that's probably the best approach to it. And I think it's miles better than the old top-down, one-way communication we had in, in a lot of organizations. Yeah. I'm curious, what are some of the strategic functions within Teleclinic? Do you have like doctors or medical advisors as well as like a digital team like how does that interaction work within the company yeah 
So we deeply believe in teams that are cross-functional and that have their own mission. So I think that is really essential to make your team members really feel engaged and part of it. So we do not have a, an organization where we have, I don't know, the business guys deciding what we do and then perhaps even uh, like how we do it. <laughs> and then those people just executing the code or something or the doctors like just treating the patients but not being involved in how we further develop our software so that processes for doctors uh, become better. So we really have cross-functional teams and basically we split them along the user journey. So basically, if you look at Teleclinic, it first starts with basically a patient hearing about Teleclinic then registering, downloading our app, telling us problems he or she has, then talking to a doctor through a video, receiving a digital prescription, a signal, transferring that prescription to a pharmacy, and finally, the whole billing part, either with you directly or with your insurance. And basically, along that user journey, we have created cross-functional teams, each with their own output-oriented KPI and mission based on that output-oriented KPI. And so each of these teams has both developers as well as, for example, business guys, designers, or medical staff. I would also like to ask you about your external communication. You've raised quite a bit of capital over the years. And how, how, what was your experience like raising risk capital with VCs? So what was my experience? <laughs> Frankly, it was not so easy because the German digital health market is just at its very beginning. And in my experience, at least European German investors, they are not the most visionary ones. <laughs> So basically to tell them, we want to build something that has never been done. And no, there's no role model in Germany. <laughs> and no, it's, it's not the same like an e-commerce platform. That was not the easiest thing to do. And then also this whole regulatory environment makes it quite tough. And on also the political aspect of, of what we do for investors to, to really evaluate how quickly that business can become huge. So it was not easy. And yeah, basically communication wise at the end next to uh, like the, the industry not being the easiest one. I think it's the same like for, for any startup. What you need is a really convincing vision, a strong team, a huge market. And then to show with extra numbers that you have created a product market fit. What I, what I can perhaps add for digital health and, and within the German market in particular is I could have done better as to simplifying. So I think communication is is very often uh, connected like on, to, to how easy you can make the other party understand what you do. And the market is quite complex. What we do is complex, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end, what you really need to do is like to break it down, to make it a really easy to digest story for investors and really as always with communication translate what you're doing into terms that they can basically use for their internal kpis and i think that's something i learned along the along the journey interesting yeah focusing on external communications i have a couple of questions how careful do you have to be about the messages that you put out there? Is there some kind of chain of command because you're dealing with quite sensitive information? Or is this 
already kind of internalized how this can go out there. And then I wanted to talk about your Instagram channel, which I thought was quite interesting because over the last few weeks, you guys have been putting out, you know, some kind of, I guess, like Corona myths that you're dispelling. And then also, you know, information on how to even take a Corona test. So I think this is super valuable information, but I just wondered what that process was to actually get it out there. And you've distilled it in such simple ways, but I wondered what that process looked like before that. As to communication, um, I think over the years, I developed quite a good understanding of what and how to communicate to whom. (laughs) So no, we don't have different layers. So it's basically me deciding what we communicate. And when I'm not uh, 100% sure, I basically go to my team members and ask them for their feedback. And basically, um, yeah, also, of course, what we do is we measure. So basically, we we see like how good or bad do certain messages uh, convert into whatever clicks, followers, likes. Um, that also helps. And and then also, basically, uh, we see how our communication influences the brand of Teleclinic. So, for example, in the first years, our communication was, how do you say it, was, was a lot, rather polite, I would say. So the purpose of our external communication was to make that change happen. And so it was extremely important for us, as I explained earlier, to really give all the conservative parties the feeling that um, we do this together, and basically that we don't, yeah, that 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 basically it's an integrative process. So we would never say everything you do is bad, and Teleclinic is the only one that can do it. And yeah, it was rather polite. What we then realized when the regulation changed in the way we wanted it to be changed. That the, that the impact on our brand was that our brand was also rather polite. <laughs> you could perhaps even say, for some, it might be boring because, like, we were not the the guys around the block that basically turned the whole digital world, uh, digital health world around. But we were rather part of the system, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's something we've realized, and that's something like being really open here is, is something we also want to change a bit because yes. For some time, it was the right thing to do. And I think this rather polite communication helped us to actually meet our targets, which was change of regulation. But now where regulation has changed, we also want to be a bit braver and like be more, more, more open and communicate more that we do not think that everything in the system is perfect <laughs> and that we actually think that we have to change something quite drastically. So that's... That's somehow the interaction between communication, effect on your brand, and then how to change your communication when basically perhaps also the targets of, of or the, the mission of your communication is changing along along the way. How important do you think is, is communication and having that clear brand personality, which may be a bit edgier going forward for, for your growth and success in the future? I think it's extremely important. And it's something that uh, is not only part of basically PR communication, as you might say, but it's it's something every single employee has to understand because it it also mirrors in every single like product development, in how your B2B team might talk to B2B customers. It also is important, for example, for the HR team because the way you think about your brand also defines what 
team colleagues you want to add to your team. So it's it's extremely important. And how do you how do you use the media or you know there, there have been quite a few uh, profiles about about you out there. So do do you actively pursue media coverage? Do you offer stories to the media? So basically, how do we do it? Number one is press releases. So we really have a press release, I'd say, every eight weeks that really has a significant value for, for the media. So basically, we always really try to create new interesting stories. I don't know. We are the first to have digital prescriptions. We are the first to do public reimbursement. Or basically, we saved, I don't know, lives of Uh, a child abroad that otherwise couldn't have access to doctor as quickly as through teleclinic. So I'd say press releases is quite important. And then these press releases basically get coverage by many, many newspapers when the story is really relevant. And then also we really have direct connections to those journalists that really are shaping basically the industry. So take the top 10 newspapers, the top five TV channels covering the topic. And I think, again, like, like for, for, as it's also communication, the question is, like, how can we help those people? So basically just going to them and basically telling them, I really want to be in your newspaper. And then basically asking them to find a way that, that they write an interesting story is, is, is not very promising. But basically what we do is we really bring them stories that make it really easy for them to come up with a great story. Um, so storytelling in a way that a journalist has easy times getting a great performance on his side, so getting a great response to his article is, is, is part of what we do, actively do. And I'm sure you guys have plenty of interesting stories to tell. What's coming up for you guys in the next six months? What are the big stories? Perhaps starting with the teleclinic mission again. So when I founded teleclinic roughly five and a half years ago, I uh, always wanted to provide every patient in Germany with the option to see an online doctor for free. So to really integrate it into the existing system so that it's really a, an alternative to, to seeing your doctor offline so that you don't have to pay, but that it's regularly reimbursed by your, in, in Germany, public health insurance. And this in combination with digital prescriptions and sick notes. And as I said, at end of last year, there was this regulatory change making public reimbursement possible. And we as Teleclinic will launch, basically we call it free to patient at the 28th of May, including digital prescriptions and sick notes Germany-wide. And we're the first company actually to, to do that in Germany. So this is the end of a very significant part of, uh, of Teleclinic's journey, which basically is, is, is bringing to the market what we were working on for five and a half years. It will at the same time be the starting point for a new story, the story of scaling that offering into the market. And so that's extremely exciting for the team to see how that will work out. How big do you think you could be in a few years from now? So uh, we are deeply convinced that there will be one dominating platform for online doctor visits per country mm -hmm. because it, your success depends so much on integrating into the respective system, really understanding how you connect with all these conservative parties. 
And uh, we think that we have a very good setup in Germany. We have a huge market share with insurers, uh, very long contracts, etc. And so our goal is to have 70 plus percent of market share in Germany. And yeah, how big can it be uh, in, uh, in short time? Um, well, we think that we can be at roughly um, 15 million doctor visits in 2025. So this is a rough number. Um, well, <laughs> that's quite a few every day. Gosh, yeah. What would be your final piece of advice for other founders or people in the digital health space? Focus. <laughs> At the beginning, really, the market is so huge. And there is so little that is digital, really, I don't know, less than 1%. So if you only do one thing properly and really change the experience for the parties involved, make it easier, um, the value you will create will be huge, but you really need to focus on one thing where no one else can can beat you and where you will be the absolute leader for that respective um, um, area. Makes sense. Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Katarina. It was super insightful, um, particularly right now in this interesting times. <laughs> I have the feeling we will hear a lot about Teleclinic in the coming years. So thank you very much for chatting to us today. It's much appreciated. It was a really interesting talk. And I think you found yourself two new customers because I'm already convinced this is really useful. And uh, looking forward to enjoying your product as well. Thank you so much. 